This is the War Room Roundtable podcast, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant businessmen and women on the planet, hear their stories, and get the most important business lessons they've learned on the road to success, and get exclusive advice on how to implement their successes into your life and business. The War Room Roundtable is brought to you by your hosts, Jason Miller, CEO of Strategic Advisor Board, and Philip Llanos, CEO of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. Welcome to the War Room. It's a pleasure to have you here, Wes. How are you doing today? I am doing just great, gentlemen. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, man. Uh, listen, uh, we all know that it's no secret that sales is the lifeblood of business. So I'm excited to be getting into this. Uh, but one of our favorite things to do when we kick things off is to ask, do you come from a family of entrepreneurs or creative professionals, anything of that nature? Very interesting question. And the answer is yes. Both of my parents were tailors in Seattle, originally from Seattle, Washington. And I guess their claim to fame was when Seattle had a professional basketball team, the Seattle Supersonics, they were the creators of the stuffed animal version of uh, their mascot, which was the Weedle. So the Weedle and the Needle. (laughs) (laughs) That's the entrepreneurial (laughs) side of my family. And I did work in that business early on. How did that sort of inform your outlook on life moving forward, you know, considering school as an option, you know, uh, work in general and how you grew up in one environment, saw how things were done behind the veil and then working in an organization and seeing how they're doing it. How did that all come together for you? Well, it taught me a lot. I was in school. I was still a teenager, but at the same time, I was setting up manufacturing when all of the department stores in the Seattle area wanted to have that product on the shelves. Of course, our basement project wasn't going to work any longer. So I um, set up shop in L.A., found um, basically sweatshops to create the uh, the uh, animal, the stuffed animal version. And of course, had them filled in Seattle and didn't want to ship pillows across, you know, up. Uh, across the West Coast. So that all worked out quite well. Uh, But what it did teach me um, is that, you know, business is multi-level, multifaceted, and um, there is a lot of competitors out there. And there's a lot of suppliers and vendors out there. So what I learned early was the power of negotiation. Oh, okay. And that's basically the secret sauce for success. If you if all of your costs are in the uh, if if you can spend all of your uh, money on the costs, there's very little left for profit. So um, I became a capitalist at a very young young age. <laughs> you know, living in America, that's actually not a bad thing to have early <laughs> sure. on. Uh, too many of us grow up. You know, I'm a perfect example of this. I uh, didn't have any of that experience coming up, and uh, most of my friends, we especially in high school, we were more concerned with like what someone was wearing or, you know, spending money on frivolous things, not even thinking of sure. the future, even when they tell you to think of the future, right? Uh, so we grow up and we get into society and we're like, oh, uh, I wouldn't even know how to get a car if I had to. What about a loan or just in right. general? What am I supposed to do? I need something. Get a credit card. Why not? Right? And all, the list goes on and bad choices and not negotiating with people and then thinking that, well, it's either going to work or it's not. And again, not negotiating your way through reality. So 
I'd love to learn how far back can you remember like your negotiation, like really starting to come into your life? Like, was it around that manufacturing time when you were still no, in school? Prior to that. So at age 15, I purchased my first new car uh, in anticipation of my 16th birthday. So my mom and I and my dad, we went to the auto dealership and I'm going to date myself in saying this, but it was a brand new Chevy Vega. Okay. <laughs> $2,300 for the most stripped down version of that vehicle you could buy. Uh, the radio, where the radio would normally sit in a vehicle, it was a plastic cover. No radio. <laughs> oh, so, wow. And um, my mom and dad negotiated and uh, to the point where I wanted to leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> they wrote a check for that vehicle cash and they wrote it out and said, this is what I'm paying for the car. And there was no further negotiation. Uh, and I left uh, with a new car. So that all worked out. So 15, almost 16 is when I uh, learned the power of negotiation to a painful end. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. It's funny. We really have a... We have no problem having someone charge us whatever they want, but for some reason, we have a problem asking for a different price. It's just as a society, in particular, uh, ironically, in America, where that's probably the most powerful tool to have. Do you, after thirty-five plus years uh, as an executive level manager and working mm-hmm. with Fortune five hundred companies, do you sure. find that there's any sort of pattern or trait as to why that might be or or at least some ways we could fix that in us if we still have those remnants of discomfort with negotiation sure well in my case i've triangulated so as you just mentioned um i worked for three fortune 500 companies one being pack car which owns kenworth and peterville trucks caterpillar equipment manufacturer and then bobo which also owns mac trucks so what's different in those three organizations is uh pack cars privately owned as most people know, Caterpillar is, is publicly owned. And then uh, Volvo is uh, foreign owned. It's owned by a Swedish company, obviously Volvo. And what I've learned in each of those, um, I guess, endeavors is their management styles are different. Um, their culture is very different. And the way you have to conduct yourself as a W-2 is very different. So I guess what I would say that I've learned from those three organizations is their distribution base, their supply base, um, um, everything from um, engineering, from a concept to a finished product that's being marketed out to the uh, uh, to the general public, everything is different. And you have to understand those differences and you have to work within the confines of those differences to be successful. Um, a lot of internal scarring from those 35 plus years of working at a corporate level, um, at an executive level. Um, you hear and see things that uh, no one should be forced to see or hear, <laughs> but but that's the secret sauce. Okay. I, I love that you brought up workplace culture and this and that. You know, Jason himself is also a huge advocate of being the kind of company that moves forward with the times. And, you know, a lot of companies, especially with, with the, the temperature right now, I mean, there's like a, this looming recession or what have you. And people are like, I need you back in the office. And, you know, there's a time and a place for all that, yeah. but also the world is changing. And Jason has been speaking about this at length. So I love that you brought that up before we keep going. Cause I want to know more about what you're doing. I want to check in with him in case he's had a thought or two that like, while you're talking, he just didn't want to interrupt sure. to, to sort of sprinkle in here. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, just going back to negotiating, right. Um, yeah. The the art of negotiation 
is uh, that's what wins the game, right? Yes. It absolutely is. <clears throat> and it boils down to this. This has been my experience in sales. Has always been, you know, the who speaks first loses. Right? That's really close to what I say. I say whoever throws out a price first loses. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's it. Right. So there's a little art in learning when to shut up <laughs> right? sure. and leave that silent. And and if you're the one that can leave that silent and let that other person talk, you won. It's over. That's really now. Accurate. It's it's really true. Very <laughs> accurate. I I used to do tons and tons of sales for my own companies, and you know I had a mentor that said, you know what, you close and shut your mouth mm-hmm. and don't say another word, don't right. say anything. Correct. And and I started doing that, and I got to tell you, it probably increased my close rates by 30, 40 percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, just by shutting your mouth, you know, right. well, Hey, uh, you know, our packages start at $50,000. That's where I think we need to start. Would you mm-hmm. like to pay a wire that check credit card? How would you like to do that? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. You have two ears and one mouth for a reason. That's it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so, you know, the idea and concept, that's a big takeaway to take away from this call is the negotiation piece of things. That's what wins. Negotiation wins wars. Mm-hmm. Negotiation wins things in business. Negotiates sure. win things in some other places. <laughs> well, let me, let me say in business. I'll refer back to that. So <laughs> my mind is wandering, but I'm going to go right back to business. So in business. Couldn't, I couldn't help it. <laughs> we, we, I mean, we globally have supply shortages. I mean, no secret to anyone mm-hmm. for sure. And, and sometimes you have to negotiate with vendors. Sometimes you have to negotiate with your own company. And I'll give you a couple of examples. So um, vendors want you to be healthy at the most part. And you want your vendors to be healthy. You don't want to get such a deal that you put them out of business because then you have to go find a new vendor. That's not healthy. Um, they don't want you to pay so much that you're underwater on whatever you're selling because then you don't remain healthy. So, I mean, th- there has to be a some sort of compassion in the way that you negotiate. And then there's the other side where you may be negotiating with your own company. If you have a, uh, a production arm and a uh, distribution arm, so you're selling something brand new as a product, but you're also selling product support within um, that same framework or the parts that make those products work. Well, do you take all of your inventory and shift it to production if you have a limited amount of supply or do you share with your aftermarket so you can keep your existing customers happy as well. So you start that negotiation and I've been in those conference rooms as well. And, you know, you want to sell as many of the end products as you can, because that's, that's the breadwinner. But at the same time, it's the after sales that keeps the customer and keeps the products viable in the marketplace. So, And that's the relationship side of things. Uh, well, that is partly relationship and it's partly, as Jason would call it, survival mode. <laughs> You're not going to be in business very long if you only have one chain of um, distribution. If it's the new products, mm. but you're not taking care of the old products. I see. You know, what, what I'd love to get into is uh, 
it seems that sales seems to be, everyone knows how important it is for their business. And yet often it's like pulling teeth to get themselves to get either their team or they as the CEOs on board with actually doing some outreach, right? In particular, cold outreach, which is, you know, in, in today's day and age, rare and those who can do it and are good at it are miles ahead of everyone else and those who rely only on inbound type of sales well you know that that has its place but it shouldn't be the only thing i feel like half the time it's just negotiating with yourself to actually get yourself to be there so do you have any thoughts on sort of the art of negotiating with yourself and getting yourself to that Mm -hmm. place (laughs) that's a funny story so i i can i can think of very few and i know thousands of if not more business owners and i and i'm trying to think what is the population of business owners that started out as salespeople? and that population is probably less than one percent maybe jason knows better but um most people that, that design a product take a product to market create an infrastructure around that product um and, and manufacturing distribution and all the things that it takes very rarely do they start out as a salesperson and say, I'm going to be a, the greatest salesperson ever. Let me find something to go sell. It's normally the opposite. They develop a product and then they, they're forced to sell it. Well, they get to a point where they grow, they expand, and they can't do every single job. And what I've found in working with clients is the hardest thing for them to let go is sales. And the most angst that they get on a day-to-day basis is sales. So they love it. They hate it. Um, they think they're good at it. In most cases, they're not. But <laughs> to, to be honest, and, and that's a, that's been a, um, a customer dissatisfier for a long time. They don't like the people that's coming in to sell to them. And then when it's the owner, it's even worse. So um, giving up that part of your business, which is essentially the lifeblood of the organization, nothing happens if you don't sell it, um, is hard. And that's what I try to convince many business owners of. I mean, let's use Jason as an example to pick on him for a minute. (laughs) Jason's a very charismatic guy, very smart guy, but does he sell his product better than a professional salesperson? I'll let him answer that. But uh, in most cases, the answer to that is no. Um, But the, to relinquish that power um, is hard. So I don't, it's part of that. It's the, it's the smart thing to do though. Because you can't be steeped in both, right? I mean, I I cut my teeth in sales, right? But then at some point, you move away from that. And then you're either the one that hangs onto it like a sinking ship. Or you, you, you quickly realize that, oh, you know what? I can't do that anymore. That's the whole juggling of hats thing, right? So, So at some point, whether you're good at it or not, when you were good at it, then you're probably not going to be good at it now because you're too stressed out. Cause you got 18 other things stacked up over in the corner over here right now. Correct. And you shouldn't be doing it. I'll give you. That, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say to your point, I'll give you a good example in form being former military. Uh, you probably know of many companies that have made um, their living on selling to the government. Mm. Um, and they don't need salespeople, professional salespeople. They have order takers. So what happens when that government contract goes away and your warehouses are still full of products you have to sell to somebody? Well, your order takers now don't know how to go out and find business in the in the uh, public sector. They, mm-hmm. they lost the government bid. What are they going to do now? And I've seen that happen as well. 
And the same guys that went out and just you know made a great living on writing down how many and when, they don't know what to do in that business. And I've seen businesses <laughs> go under as a result. That's the fish. I call that the fish method, right? So there's a difference between selling and being given fish. Not the same thing at all. And a lot of people, they get spoiled, right? So then they somehow convince themselves that they're a good salesperson, um, but they're really just getting fed fish. Mm -hmm. But now go out and have to do a real sales job. (laughs) And then you'll quickly realize, man, I suck at this. Holy crap. <laughs> well, you have to have foundational pieces. If you don't have those, you're you're, you're really going to be in a bad way. So, yeah, and that's right. what I preach to my clients. As good as your product may be, um, how are you distributing your product? How are you pricing your product? Who's representing your product to the marketplace? I mean, you, you have to have all those components really running on all cylinders. And if they're not, you're going to have gaps. And and that's what I specialize in. After all those years of corporate experience at a very high level and paying out millions and millions of dollars in bonuses annually to guys that are buying jets and yachts and, you know, you name it, lavish vacations, their employees didn't really see a lot of that, uh, you know, the sweat equity that they put into the organization. So I really try to focus on small and medium sized companies where they can uh, let that money trickle down, so to speak. So the, the employees are happier, their families, their communities, their churches, you, you name it, the community wins, not just So that's where my focus is. I love that. I love that you can bring that level of uh, experience down to some of the, the smaller players, and that's relative, right? But some of the smaller players and how they can help because we talk about this often on the show uh small business you know even medium business really is the backbone of the economy they're really the ones powering putting food on the table for many right and it's when i started out i was lucky enough that uh my, my my first mentor sort of made some introductions for me right and he said these are people you can afford to make mistakes with but i want you to get on the phone and make all the mistakes Right. And sure enough, I mean, the first the first call I ever had, the guy interrupted me was like, look, look, (laughs) I want to tell you something. I'm a coach for CEOs. We're 10 minutes into the conversation and you haven't asked me a single question, you know, and and I I just remember my face like getting red. And, you know, I'm like, oh, man, you know, and he's like, but I'm going to let you know that that's what you did wrong. So that on the next couple of calls, you do better. Correct. And of course, I kept making mistakes until I didn't make mistakes as much anymore. Uh, but I still think that even being given the people to call was too much of a benefit because then later you get out into the field and you realize, okay, now I know that these are the kinds of people I want to talk to, but now I got to call them, find mm-hmm. out what's going on, diagnose and see if it's a fit and make sure that I don't try to fit myself to their problem. Right. Because right. then that's 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 the whole problem with sales, right? And so that's like a whole other level. And there are things that I feel like in that process, that gradual development into a sales professional uh, to a level where then you as a CEO can then delegate it and choose properly who could be or hire a company that gets gets the right. people in for you, right? But there's there's like a, there's a rite of passage almost in business and sales. Do, do you have any thoughts on that? A ton. <laughs> I'll, try, I'll try to narrow it down, though. But um, yeah, I, I, for years and years and years, 
um, and being in management, um, having hundreds of salespeople in the field, you're only going to be as strong as the salespeople that you have. And I've gone in and I've analyzed salespeople for a very long time. I assess them. And sometimes I put them where they need to be because sales isn't always the right location for them. Um, and you build high caliber teams. When you build a high caliber team, not necessarily saying the guy that knows the most about the product, but the guy that has the attitude, the aptitude to go out and do the things that need to be done. Those are the guys that I want. I've hired guys from every walk in life. I've gone into hardware stores and seen guys I liked and said, hey, have you ever considered an, uh, <laughs> uh, joining a, a different type of occupation where um, you're going to learn a lot of new things, you're going to meet a lot of exciting people, and you're going to make a lot of money? Typically, they're interested. So I've, I've built teams for a very long time. I've uh, gone into companies and assessed their sales personnel. And as long as it's not family, and I'm not calling you know babies ugly, it tends <laughs> tend to listen. <laughs> <laughs> and and when you can go in and honestly tell them you're not going to win with this team, um, and once they know it and believe it and they are willing to make changes, their business goes in an entirely different direction. It's not just the, their team, though. It's also their processes, understanding their business plan, their compensation plans, because I've seen salespeople paid 100% salary. Where's the motivation there? <laughs> yeah. <None>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, typically those are family members, but but beyond family members, I've seen 100% salary and 0% commission. And you, you have to start feathering in the commission component to, to figure out, are these guys really working? Um, I can give you every scenario you can imagine where I even saw where a wife said, this is exactly how much money you need to bring in. And that's exactly what he brings in. Um, to pay the bills, to pay for the vacation annually. And that's all he does. And, and they're wow. happy with that. So, but if I, as a business owner, if that's my employee, uh, we're going to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Okay. This is getting deep. <laughs> I, I, I want to get more focused on one of the, one of the chief objectives we have on this conversation, because it's, it's getting so good. I'm going to get distracted on some of the things that <laughs> I, I love to do on the show. And that is you had some bottom line, like this is the go-to advice uh, that you've seen through all the pattern recognition you've had over your career. Like anybody, you walk into a room, one of the first things you want people to know rule of thumb. If you're working with me, I need you to know this. Wes, what is that? Yeah, it's, I, I see it as being two parts. Any company I've worked with, I do two things. I, I go in and I do a discovery to make sure I understand. As Jason would say, I listen. Uh, I, I don't talk. I ask some very specific questions, but for the most part, I'm listening. Um, and then second to the discovery process is the assessment process. And the assessment involves letting that company talk about them. So I have a couple of um, assessment documents that I use that they complete themselves, the company owner, his C-suite, um, his executives, so we can triangulate all of the information. And then I can feed it back to him in an executive summary, um, illustrate the gaps, and then we talk about how do we close the gaps. Uh, and in a lot of cases, most companies just don't simply have a playbook. If you can help them design their playbook and it's sustainable for the next few years, you get in on a fractional basis, you give them that information, you provide that direction, you get out. Uh, and if they follow it, they'll be successful. If they don't, well, it's we kind of revised the playbook. But um, I think 
long, long-winded answer, but uh, understanding the client, understanding their market, understanding um, their their processes, their systems, their pricing, um, and and what is the goal of the company? In some cases, they just want to make the company marketable so the owner can sell it in five years. In other situations, they may have a line of um, of children that they want to grow and develop in the business so they can take it over. And in some cases, they want to be bought out um, you know, by a, another company um, that can take it to the next level. So understanding all of that is what makes it go. Interesting. I like that specifically because many people will go out there and try to get some cookie cutter advice on sales. And the truth is what you just said just points out you can't take for granted that your company, regardless if it's in the same industry as a hundred other companies, sure. has the same needs that those other companies have. And that's why it's so important to be able to give the respect that's due to your own sales process with your own team and their right. capabilities, their aptitudes, and whether or not you need to add those things. Okay. Yeah, I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> what's important. So in the in the space that I work within today, small to medium businesses, I mean, it's it's that's kind of how I look at my elderly relatives. They're one slip or fall away from being in um, you know, some sort of care. Um, it's the same with small and medium-sized companies. One disruption, supply chain could be a good example of that. So supply chain disruptions could cripple that company. So you want to get into those small to medium-sized companies to ensure they have the best possible footing they can so when that storm comes, they can survive. Um, I've seen way too many businesses go out of business because they weren't paying attention and they could have avoided uh, the pitfalls. But unfortunately, uh, they don't all see it that way. And I've owned the business, so I know from experience um, the good and the bad. And um, as you said earlier, in, as you were early in your career, you're flush faced. I've been that way many times. I'm still that way. I get into situations where I go, geez, I didn't think it went that way. But you learn every day. Yeah, man. No, I, the the goal of the master is always to practice the basics anyways, right? Because the fundamentals are always the ones that get the job done. Everything else is just experience. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a big fan of your of your disposition in regards to your position and experience. I think those are all important factors. I'd love to take a quick moment uh, since the conversation is hot on the mic right now to, uh, to, to just give a shout out to our supporters who make the show possible. Absolutely. Uh, in particular, uh, we have here Stephanie Emmett, uh, whose message to everyone that's listening is if you're a solopreneur and you're spending unforsaken amount of hours uh, uh just do it yourself marketing like you're out there trying to figure out what's going to work i'm doing email that doesn't work I'm doing social media that doesn't work nothing works and you're just flabbergasted as to what's going on you don't understand well guess what she's in your corner for that specific reason so if that sounds like you she created a program called the startups to six figures mentorship that's the solution she designed and it's simple clear and exact steps you can start to bring into your arsenal to get you prepared for actually getting some traction with the tactics that you're trying, right? You won't feel frozen with analysis paralysis. And all you have to do is go to the right Stephanie.com and that's W R I T E the right Stephanie.com enter the code war room for 10% off. If you heard it on here and uh, she'll take care of you roll out the red carpet. With that said, I also want to roll out the red carpet for you, Wes. Where should people who are listening right now go to connect with you further and seek your counsel, your Jedi counsel? Oh, 
<laughs> yeah, I do a lot of pro bono work, so I've got to be careful here. <laughs> um, so uh, W Cotton, uh, C-O-T-T-O-N at sales acceleration. Now this is tricky. Sales, S-A-L-E-S, and then an X, C-E-L-E-R-A-T-I-O-N. So sales acceleration without, uh, you know, spelled a little tricky there, dot com. <laughs> Um, and happy, happy to help those who need it. Um, I live in Kansas City as well as Seattle, kind of bounce back and forth between the two. And the, those are the footprints where I stomp around the most. Right on. Okay. Before we go on to the grand finale, I want to check in with Jason here, some of his reflections. Yeah. You know, these are important conversations to be having right now because I, I personally feel that the art of sales is, is kind of, it, it, it's starting to disappear a little bit because all you have to do is just get on LinkedIn. And if you have an account on LinkedIn, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it is the art of building that relationship up to the point of the sale is it's critical. It's not just, uh, here, let me pop the first connection. Hey, I got this great brand new gizmo that I want to sell you. Great. Not interested. Go away. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, because at the end of the day, we are, we're consumers. All of us are right. We're all going to buy, but what we don't want to do is be sold. Correct. Right. That's what it comes down to at the end of the day. If I need a new lawnmower, I'm going to go buy a new lawnmower. <laughs> but if I show up and I got some cheesy guy yakking in my ear, I'm going to go somewhere else, right? Just it, it's, it's just how the human dimension works. But if I go there, somebody's nice and friendly and they're like, well, you know, here's the difference between this one and this one. You know, my personal opinion is, you know, I like this one because it's got more room to it or whatever. Those are the people you love to talk to, right? Because that's what they're doing. They're having a conversation. Love and the it. best thing you can do in sales is have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Sales doesn't have to be considered slimy and cheesy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, hey, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> I literally this morning, before I got started on all our calls, I put it out on LinkedIn and I tagged everyone I'd be speaking to today. And I said, you know, if anybody has any questions, you know, let me know what you would love for me to ask them. Some of them are like, oh, ask them what they're most excited about today in business and their own business. Right. Mm -hmm. And then someone jumps in and they're like, you know, they're not from America and they hit me up and they're like in the comment section of that post. And instead of being relevant, they're like, Hey, I, I love your podcast and I love your music on Spotify. I do X, Y, and Z service. Please, sir, responds in the messages. I'm like, Oh, uh, Hey, you know, super great. I don't think it's relevant to the post. I took the time to write back. I said, uh, I think that that kind of transactional conversation is better had on Upwork or Fiverr, but right. thank you anyways. And they're like, yeah, I can send you my Fiverr or my uh, or my Upwork <laughs> link and you can message me there. Should I send it to you? you uh, please, sir, respond. And I was like, wow, I don't think you understood what I said, but thank you anyways, man. You right. know, and I, I think to myself, there's a lot of people out there that are just are. doing that, whether they're from another country or even in the U.S., 
And it's crazy to me. I'm sure you have your own horror stories. Oh, I do. And you know, it's funny. I'm listening to you and I'm thinking five times a day, I'm offered services I didn't know I needed. But boy, they think you need them, don't they? <laughs> I don't have to do anything myself if I just take advantage right. of all the services that are offered to me. But, oh, you know, I, I, I asked a, I asked a, I asked somebody a couple days ago. They hit me about, I don't know. I think it was an app, and I said, "Does it come with a toilet?" I'm interested if it comes with a free toilet. <laughs> crickets man <laughs> yeah you know I'm gonna try I, that <laughs> I thought that by, I thought that by responding and letting them know that if that's how they want to approach the sales process it's just easier to put up your profile on there and bid for right. jobs because that's mm-hmm. what you're doing right mm-hmm. as opposed to building a relationship I thought if I took the time to do that it would do a couple of things number one anybody else that tries to do that's going to see my response right. to that kind of stuff But number two, it might actually put them on a path where they'd be better served as opposed to being on LinkedIn and totally using the wrong tactic on that platform. But, you know, you you, you can lead a horse to water. (laughs) Okay, I got to plug one more thing in here. So I I would for many, many years, I used to tell salespeople that sell at the bottom line as low as they can go. And they call me for all kinds of crazy discounts so they can sell at the bottom line. I said, well, geez, why why don't you just hang a shingle in your district that says we are the cheapest? And then I don't need you anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. It's so true. People are either going to commoditize themselves or they're going to develop something that's premium and give people an experience that makes them want to buy. Right. And, and, and that's like the the bottom line. And I'm just glad that we were able to have a conversation out loud about this to help sort of get that out because a lot of people will listen to a sales Mm -hmm. episode of whatever. It's either a video or a podcast, you know, some kind of content that was created. And it's like, here are the five steps, but we didn't do any of that here. We, we took frameworks. We took, uh, we took steps like analyzing what's and diagnosing what's really going on before creating a solution or an offering. And that's like 90% of the work. (laughs) Everything else is just figuring out the logistics and variables that make sense for that company. And I just, I don't know how many people can't wrap their heads around that and why it's so difficult. You're never going to be the art of persuasion. You know, I'm going to psychologically get this person to just open their wallet or their credit cards and give me all their money. It doesn't work that way. And yet time and time again, sure. You can Go ahead, go ahead. I know I want here's to hear this. The, here's the analogy. So when you go see your doctor and you hop up on the table and you say, doctor, here's everything going on. Cut me. <laughs> Get in there and fix it, right? <laughs> Doesn't work that way. The doctor asks a lot of questions. They do a lot of um, tests and all the things that tr- to truly understand what is your issue. It's the same in sales, as, as Jason would say ask the questions, but get the answers, diagnose the, mm-hmm. the problem, and then come up with the cure or the remedy for the problem. Um, we don't do enough of that. We just hop in there, as Jason said, let's sell, 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 and not knowing, do they even need what you're selling? Yeah, man. No, it's... Got to do it the right way. It's one of those things, but here we are, you know, waxing poetic, and maybe the people who need this won't even get around to it because (laughs) we're going to have real business professionals listening from our community, and they're going to go, yeah, that sounds about right. A great reminder, I'm going to get back and double down on what I was already doing because I imagine our listeners are doing that. With that said, um, 
I want to now turn over to the grand finale if it's if it's oh, all sure. in good taste. And that mm-hmm. is, you know, Wes, if you could have invited anyone to this conversation today, who would you have loved to have had here and why them? Oh my God. So that's that's two part answer. <laughs> Number one, it would be my dad, who has been gone about 10 years. And um he's always, always, always pushed me to do more, to be better, to be a better example, to be a better man, better father, better everything. So he always was that guy behind me pushing. And he still does that in a different way um, because I can't get him out of my mind whenever I'm uh, trying to excel at something. I wish he was here, but if I, if he was here, this would be a totally different discussion because I'd be so serious. <laughs> and most of the time when I'm working with clients, I'm very serious because this is a serious issue. But um, that's who I wish was here. Um, miss my dad a lot. Uh, and uh, he's, he's the reason that things have gone well for me in life. I'm always trying to meet his expectations, both when he was here and certainly now that he's not here. I love that answer, man. You know, um, I myself have had an a, a interesting relationship with my dad, uh, him pre- predominantly not being around. But it, even, even so, from what I did, the, the chances that I did get when I was a kid and I, as I get older, I, more and more, I ask, I, I just ask out loud, like, like what, what should I do here? You know, and it's, it's a, it's a funny thing. The older you get, the more you're willing to ask for help, right? Sure. <laughs> uh, I'm sure Jason, you've got some thoughts on this. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you learn, we grow, right. And then we realize that we don't have all the answers, right. And then the very best thing you can do is reach out to somebody that you without question, trust, right? Like my old man, I would anything, well, not anything, but mostly, (laughs) (laughs) most things, right? Most things, because he has a ton of experience. He was an entrepreneur for 40 years of his life. And did he do it all right? No, but those were different times too, right? Or my neighbor, Don, he was a one of the previous CEOs of Oracle. Does he have all the answers? Well, he's 80. That was 20 some years ago, right? It's a different time. But when he talks, you listen. Right. And it's like, I always tell people when I talk to people, take what you want, throw away the rest. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and that's kind of how I approach things too, is, you know, I have people I know I can talk to and they'll give me the input. I'll take what I want and discard the rest because sure. it's the way I tell people to live too. I mean, we're not all always right about everything. That's impossible. Mm-hmm. But, or, or we had an experience that was similar, but it doesn't quite fit, but a part of it fits. So you take the part that does and throw the rest of it away. Yeah, that's that's a, you know, good, good piece of advice, probably, I think. Well, when it doesn't work for me, um, I just tell him I'm Al Roker because I've been mistaken for him. No kidding. Would you buy from me now? <laughs> now, now that you say that, that is so true. Okay, stop. <laughs> oh, man, Wes, you're, you're just an awesome person, man, overall. I, I, I could see that in... Uh, I love that uh, you gave a shout out to your dad, man. And, and that you also uh, threw the caveat. If he was around, it'd be a little more serious. And that's just because that's <laughs> what he brings out of you, you know, wanting to push sure. you further. And, uh, you know, it sounds like a great, great man. Uh, yeah, he was. It's just an awesome, 
awesome conversation that we've had today. It's tradition here for Jason to close this out, but I just want to say, man, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you. Thank you. You as well. And Jason, I talked to anyway, so we'll, <laughs> we'll clown it up later, Jason. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for being here, Wes. Gosh, yeah. it was, it's always great to have like-minded people on the show and uh, be able to share those experiences and, and all those things. And we just really appreciate you dropping that truckload of information onto the audience. And I hope they were freaking paying attention because there was a lot of nuggets in there. So thank you. Thank you. You're welcome, sir. Right on. Cheers. All right. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the War Room Roundtable with your hosts, Jason Miller and Philip Lanos. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates. And always remember, if you can dream it and believe it, then you can go achieve it. We'll see you in the next episode.